I'm Jessica Peresta, host of the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Ari Middleman. We are focused on his book, Paths of the Righteous, Stories of Humanity, Heroism, and Hope. Powerful book. With a world in turmoil like it is, it will help you believe in hope. So much to learn. Thanks for listening. And by the way, do you have a friend, a colleague, a family member who hasn't listened to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12? Hmm? Well, it would be so cool if you reached out and you found, you know, just one person and said, uh, hey, you really should listen to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 and gave them a link and uh, brought them into the fold. Could you do that for me? That'd be so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. The intro and outro were created and performed by Brian K. Buffington. You can find more about Brian at briankbuffington.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for his newsletter. Thanks, Brian. Cool, huh? It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. As a native Pennsylvanian deeply involved in the pro-Israel community, the mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh deeply affected him. That tragic event spurred Ari to write his book with the hope of it helping to showcase the good in the world that is done for others by those outside their religion, race, or nationality. He works at the nexus of politics, policymaking, and the press in Washington, D.C. Ari Middleman has run a public affairs and strategic communications firm, Keystone Strategy Plus Advocacy, LLC, serving internationally known clients that have ranged from heads of state celebrities, and global business leaders. Prior to that, he served as a senior advisor to a United States senator for eight years. He earlier had uh, served as a grant writer at a Croatia-based NGO. He is a columnist for the Times of Israel and has contributed articles uh, to the USA Today Network, Baltimore Jewish Times, The Morning Call, The Jerusalem Post, Washington Examiner, The Patriot News, Pittsburgh Tribune Review, NorthJersey.com, Modern Diplomacy, and The Jewish Exponent. He earned a BA from the Department of American Studies from the George Washington University and his MPA from Fells Institute of Government at University of Pennsylvania. Proficient in both modern and biblical Hebrew, he has formally studied the language and traditional Jewish texts since kindergarten and travels regularly to Israel. Middleman has uh, visited over 40 countries. He is a founding board chairman of St. Bernard Project, a post-Katrina Rita disaster recovery nonprofit that was recognized as CNN Hero of the Year. Uh, new father, Middleman, lives in Pikesville, Maryland with his wife and daughter. And uh, you can learn more at www.remiddleman.com. And I'll have that link in the show notes um, so you can find it there. We'll talk more about that later in the interview. Ari, uh, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you here. And uh, I, I read in your bio that you're proficient in both modern and biblical Hebrew. Uh, can you talk about the challenges of mastering those languages? Because that's cool. Well, as you mentioned, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and starting in kindergarten, I um, went to a, a private Jewish day school where half the day was spent focused on uh, any other school, science, math, reading, writing, history, etc., and the other half of the day was uh, was focused on um, uh, the Hebrew language and uh, the, the Jewish faith. So, uh, more or less from 
what is that age four, age five onward? Uh, it was kind of uh, ingrained in uh, uh, in my school day. That's very cool. That's uh, very cool. So uh, the uh, um, I, I got to ask: Do you make time to make sure that you use it so that uh, writing and in uh, um, whatever you're doing to make sure you don't lose any of that? Or uh, <laughs> no, uh, it, it it is not as easy to uh, maintain language skills as your listeners know, and uh, unless you're fully immersed. Uh, so and that uh, opportunities don't really present themselves as much. Uh, on the streets of uh, suburban Washington, D.C. So, um, but I was in Israel in May, uh, actually with the launch of this book and, uh, um, you know, try to get there at least once a year. So occasionally I have opportunities. Very cool. And, you know, today we're going to be uh, talking about your book, Paths of the Righteous, Stories of Humanity, Heroism, and Hope. And, uh, um, and I appreciate you talking about that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's cool that you were able to uh, be in Israel for the launch of your book. So uh, very nice. So let's talk about a couple other things. So why'd you write Paths of the Righteous, uh, stories of uh, uh, humanity, heroism, and hope? I mean, what made you say, I need to write this book? So I didn't by any means set out to write a book. Um, what happened, as you mentioned, in uh, Pittsburgh, in my home state of Pennsylvania, um, on the last Saturday in October 2018, it just was a punch to the gut. It's a community I know very well. Um, when 11 innocent Pennsylvanians did something that I'm sure many of your listeners do, they visited their house of worship and, uh, uh, for them and for their families, I mean, uh, the world was just turned upside down for, uh, so it, it, you know, it was a dark time. It was a tumultuous time. I was looking, uh, for inspiration and just began to put pen to paper. Gotcha. So right along with it, I have to ask, so. You wrote the book, you finished the book, you published the book. So who's the book for? Yeah, so just 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 backing up to unpackage your, your question. So began to put pen to paper. Uh, then, unfortunately, uh, listeners will remember in uh, April of 2019, uh, yet again, uh, this time thousands of miles away from Pittsburgh, um, in suburban San Diego, there was a violent, deadly anti-Semitic attack on a synagogue outside of San Diego. Uh, at that point, I really began in earnest. Um, and uh, in 2019, listeners might also remember, and we should never forget, that in the most diverse part of the world, uh, in the New York, New Jersey, tri-state area, uh, yet again, there were two violent, deadly anti-Semitic incidents. Uh, so the book really began in earnest then. Um, uh, the book profiles eight diverse uh, non-Jews who've stood up and spoken out against hate uh, and stood by my community, the Jewish community. Um, and uh, each of them gave me their time. So those interviews with them were, uh, you know, uh, in person, but also in Zoom uh, as we made our way into 2020 uh, and the uh, the pandemic. And I'll answer your question in a moment, Steve, just giving listeners the full perspective. And then the book was launched in February of uh, this year of 2022 um, uh, with Geffen Publishing in uh, Jerusalem, which is the oldest and largest publishing house uh, in Israel. The audience, I, yeah, I've been quite surprised. I mean, we've had events from Arizona to Delaware and places in between, uh, largely with the organized Jewish community. But we've had a lot of feedback from um, uh, the various churches that uh, have a deep connection to the Holy Land. Um, and then also uh, just folks I would never expect. So, for example, I profile a Croatian medical doctor and 
much to my surprise, the Croatian government translated the book and uh, uh, there was a very large launch in, in May and apparently people are reading it on the beaches of Croatia as your listeners listen to this. So. That's cool. That's, that's awesome. So uh, congrats on that. That uh, means you got people, uh, um, you're getting people's attention, I guess is my point. I think that's awesome. So good stuff. I, you, you know, so in your, you know, the title of your book is Pass of the Righteous. So who's a righteous person? What is a, what is it? What, is, what do you mean by that? So as I mentioned, the book uh, profiles eight uh, diverse non-Jews, some from the United States, some from abroad, four men, four women. Um, the, each of them uh, in recent years has done what unfortunately too many people don't do. You know, it's very easy to put our head down to look the other way when we see uh, hate and bigotry. And um, throughout history, there's plenty of examples of people being quiet and looking the other way because that's the easy path. Uh the folks who stand up and speak out, uh, it most often is not the, the lucrative path. It's not uh, the, the easiest path, but um, each in their own way, these, these, these individuals, they inspired me. And more importantly, they're inspiring their peers because that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're standing up and speaking out um, uh, in the face of injustice. Gotcha. The, uh, so one of the things I got to ask before we, we get any more into the um, people you uh, um, focused on, what I'd like to, can we just talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges that are facing Jews in Israel today? So I think it's important for listeners, uh, maybe it gets back to your your, your earlier question, uh, you know, to understand that the world Jewish community is quite small. Uh, the U.S. Jewish community is quite small, and the state of Israel is quite small. You know, I think there's, Perhaps uh, because the three monotheistic religions, Christianity and Islam, each have upward of a million uh, followers uh, and faithful, and uh, Jews were, were in the millions. Um, and it's uh, very difficult, obviously, to have census uh, data. And, uh, but the state of Israel is roughly 8 million people, um, punching certainly above its weight with multiple Nobel Peace Prize, uh, or not Peace Prize, Nobel laureates. Um, but in, and then in this country, you know, I mean, there's, there's often, unfortunately, uh, you see all sorts of anti-Semitic rhetoric, assuming just because there's, there's been throughout history, Supreme court justices that are Jewish and there's been, uh, U S senators and members of Congress that are Jewish and CEOs that are Jewish, uh, that, oh my gosh, you know, this must be half of American uh, society. And that, that, that's not the case. So to answer your question, uh, look, I mean, it's been, as I said, it's been, don't take my word for it. I mean, this is the, the, the FBI crime data, uh, but I mean, the, the incidents that are happening, unfortunately, in cities large and small, uh, violent or I don't want to minimize, you know, graffiti and everything in between uh, have been quite difficult. And then, yeah, unfortunately, in Europe, uh, Europe in recent years has been very, very difficult. And uh, you once again, don't take my word for it. Uh, if listeners are super bored, they can take a look at data from from France, from the United Kingdom, uh, and just mass mass exodus of uh, Jewish communities from those those countries, uh, which is incredibly unfortunate. Right? I mean, these are Western democracies; these are NATO allies, and uh, unfortunately, there's just a discomfort um, 
uh, grounded, uh, unfortunately, because of just hateful, violent incidents that have happened uh, right in the streets in broad daylight uh, uh, in recent years in places like Paris and London. It's amazing to me that uh, in such a world that uh, um, prides itself in being connected. I mean, I, like right now, I, I mean, we're, we're talking cross miles because you're not in my state. <laughs> and uh, but we could be talking. I've, I've had people on my podcast are in Australia. I've had people in my podcast are in France and England, you know, Canada, different places. And so we can connect just like that. But for some reason, we can't get along. Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and I, uh, I, I used to joke that Betsy Ross and Ben Franklin were my neighbors because I had a condo um, in Old City, Philadelphia, and literally around the corner was her house and his grave. And why do I mention this? Because our nation is approaching its 250th birthday. Our founding fathers chose as our national motto, E Pluribus Unum, which in Latin, which I don't speak, my understanding is out of many, one. So even during the time of the 13 colonies, there was a recognition of the diversity being a unique strength. Uh, and unfortunately, it just seems that we're kind of going into tribal camps and there's uh, divisions in this country that are, I believe, largely manufactured. But um, I, I just think maybe put it simply that what unites us is stronger than what divides us. But unfortunately, there's a lot, a lot of fissures and a lot of, a lot of hate out there. It's unfortunate because, uh, you know, it is, it is the strangest thing because, you know, it's, uh, and that's why I got to go back to, we have this connectivity that never in the history of this country have even been able to be connected so quickly and so fast. So you can disprove lots of lies rather quickly. Although what we've discovered is that the technology can be used to manufacture lies, <laughs> you know, and I know this is not part of our, our, our talk, but I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, cause now you got all this stuff around deep fakes and stuff like that. And it's like, nice, you know, that's, that's all we need is the ability to lie even more to each other and, uh, and to, to just make that uh, hate get worse. So I just, uh, it's just a sad aspect of it all because uh, it just seems that number one, as a former history teacher, history, a couple of history degrees and so forth. It's just, uh, it's a strange thing where uh, it's obvious that we don't learn as people across the country, and many of us don't. But that brings me to who you highlight in your book, because you highlight people who uh, obviously uh, care about trying to make a difference. So you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, happy to. Uh, um, as I mentioned, man, there are eight diverse individuals. I'm not sure if you want to go through each and every one of them. Uh, uh, but what I will say, because this happens in every conversation. And as I mentioned, we've been fortunate to have events all around the country and uh, is I'm not going to single out one because that's like asking a teacher. I'm not a teacher who uh, his favorite student is, and I'm not going to do that. So gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm only laughing because that's, yes, that's uh, I have people say that a lot. Oh, come on. Don't ask me to tell you my favorite one. So, so uh, let's, let's, let's talk about it. A couple of them. How about that? You want me to choose one for you? Uh, if we do it that way, Steve, then I'm not uh, uh, picking one that's particularly because, look, uh, once again, I'm just super grateful that each of these individuals is in the trenches, largely unheralded, out of the that's headlines, cool. just doing very meaningful work. Um, and on a personal level, I'm grateful that they gave me their most valuable resource, which is their time. Uh, and our conversations were philosophical and 
personal and everything in between. And, uh, um, you know, some in, in, in some instances, they've been super generous and we've done events together uh, around the country. Uh, so happy to have a conversation about any of them and would encourage listeners to uh, um, do their, their, their own homework uh, and uh, you know, certainly to pick up a copy of the book. So Very cool. So, so you, you got you to gotta talk about, because just like you were talking about the um, Croatia has uh, um, translated the book, um, the government has translated the book to make it available. I mean, um, you've got a... Uh, one of the people that you highlight is a, a Latino who convinced the Guatemalan government to open an embassy in Jerusalem. Now that's a huge deal. So tell us about that one. So Gloria Garces uh, and, and her family, uh, they, they were very much adamant that, that this was a family affair. Uh, they split their time between Miami and uh, Guatemala and they're, they are deeply spiritual uh, folks and they, uh, or not at all political, certainly not diplomats, uh, but they just had this idea um, that literally they had an idea as they uh, heard that the United States was in the process of moving uh, our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Um, we can go into the symbolism and the importance of that. Uh, they said that Guatemala should um, should do, do that as well. And the, the, the hope was that Guatemala would be the first country in the world and beat the United States to, uh, to do that. Um, there's a deep history going back to the founding of the modern state of Israel in 1948 uh, between Guatemala and Israel. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's easier said than done. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, to, to just come up with this idea and even to have meetings uh, in a country, a relatively small country like Guatemala with senior government officials. Okay, anyone can have meetings uh, if they are tenacious enough and stick to but to actually have those meetings bear fruit, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And the publisher doesn't like it when I give away, uh, uh each of the chapters, but, um, uh, and frankly, just a few short months, they were able to convince, uh, the entire depth and breadth of Guatemalan government to make a fairly consequential geopolitical decision. That's awesome. That's cool. That's, uh, and that's a, and like you said, there's more, uh, <laughs> to make a decision like that involves quite a bit and, and they moved rather quickly and did it. So that's awesome. You know, it, um, you got to mention, uh, I mean, we got all kinds of great stuff here. So, uh, how about, uh, since we mentioned Croatia, how about the Croatian doctor? Um, talk about him. So, Dr. Dragan Primorats uh, was studying in this country in Connecticut, uh, pursuing an MD, PhD. Uh, listeners will remember that in the uh, early 90s, the former Yugoslavia was just engulfed in a, a horrible war. Uh, it would have been very easy for him to say, you know what, I'm going to stay in America and become a naturalized citizen and to practice medicine here. Uh, and instead, he when the when the the war was concluding he went back uh he his professors uh, uh happened to be jewish uh and um they pursued something which frankly i don't know too much about but it was the beginning of dna technology and forensic anthropology and they um uh they they did something i just cannot contemplate they they went into the the killing fields i mean the mass graves of croatia and bosnia uh using 
this new technology um, in the field really for the first time. And you can imagine academics coming from great American universities uh, being able to actually then practice uh, in the field. And in the process, he uh, learned about something he wasn't taught in socialist Yugoslavia growing up, which was about the horrors of World War II and mass extermination of the Jewish community and to a degree other communities uh, in, uh, in, in, in that part of Europe. So um, you can imagine some very deep conversations with his mentors uh, uh, throughout this process, a very emotional process. And jump ahead to today, uh, I think this isn't me saying it, and folks you know, in Israel, folks in Croatia would say that Croatia and Israel probably have the strongest relationship uh, of, of, of any country within the EU. Uh, there's just deep, deep ties that all began, once again, not giving it away, but through conversations with, with those professors um, there and you know, very, very difficult times uh, on the, uh, you know, the fields of, of rural Croatia. Very, very cool. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the last ones I want to ask you about uh, um, has many different uh, symbolic sorts of concept here when you think about uh, um people figuring out how to get along and overcome their differences. Um, you know, he has a different skin color than everybody else. And that's, that's our, uh, our friend who's the Jamaican American who uh, fights the wildfires there in Garza. Can you, can you talk about that just a little bit? So in a lot of ways, uh, his name is Aston Bright. He's a firefighter down uh, in South Florida in uh, Broward County. And uh, in a lot of ways, he really was the, uh, no pun intended, the spark that, that began this book. Uh, as I mentioned, two weeks after, um, well, as I mentioned, there was that horrible in April 2019 attack uh, outside of San Diego. And two weeks after that, uh, uh, Aston, his name's Aston Bright, um, was uh, uh, was doing a speaking program uh, about his uh, his work, uh, his volunteer work. Um, in He visited Maryland and uh, I had no interest in attending, but I, I did because my wife was going and she's fairly persuasive. And I um, had no idea what to expect. Uh, frankly, thought I was going to duck out early, but he started talking about how he spends his vacation time um, putting out wildfires, you know, traveling halfway across the world uh, as a volunteer to put out wildfires that are set by terrorists. Um, and I just said, my gosh, there's people like this that are doing incredibly heroic, meaningful work that are not household names. And I want to get to know him better. And I did. And then I realized in that process that there's folks in my Rolodex or one degree removed that, that, you know, once again, as I was searching for inspiration and uh, just to get me through uh, uh, that darker period that I, I, I said, wow, I just got to sit down with these people and they were kind enough to take the call. That's awesome. I, and, you know, and it's, and what's, I mean, they're, they're a wonderful example of, you know, putting down whatever you're doing and taking up a cause because whatever that reason is, <laughs> I mean, because, and they have that uh, um, righteousness that you were talking about. And, uh, and what's a great example of is that uh, people coming together to make things better. I mean, 
Can you talk about that just a little bit? I mean, how, how can different people come together and make things work? I think in a, in a small way, well, look, I mean, the, the easy answer is it's, it's quite doable, right? I mean, right. we live in uh, an incredibly diverse country. Um, and once again, I mean, I think it's, this might sound incredibly trivial, but if you're on a morning walk uh, or you're in the mall or what have you, I mean, it's easy enough just to, to smile and nod and not keep your head down. But I just feel like we're unfortunately engulfed in our phones and, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of that, but, you know, um, but, you know, I think, I, I think once again, as we approach our nation's 250th birthday, we should just try to, this might sound hokey, we should just try to break down silos and get to know uh, uh, someone that is a little bit different uh, than, uh, uh, but regardless, um, in a small way, this book, um, for example, uh, we had a meaningful event uh, for three days in Arizona, uh, where the Arizona Jewish uh, uh, community, uh, they wanted me to come down, uh, but they also wanted the young woman from South Africa to uh, to join the discussion. You know, And looking around the audiences, uh, she was the only black woman there. Uh, for the matter, she, there were no black men there uh, either. Um, you know, so in a little way, and that's just one of several examples uh, of events that have happened, there's this type of dialogue and folks realize once again, that I think what unites us is much larger than what, what divides us. It's so powerful. Cause it's like, uh, you know, you wish you get that message across to a lot, uh, to, uh, to some who insist on, uh, on, uh, pushing hatred, but it's like, uh, uh, especially because it's like not sure about other people, but I'm pretty sure a lot of us have many of the same problems, which is pain bills, uh, issues of health and people uh, within our families, you know, um, having uh, different health problems and uh, um, everything from, you know, we got to figure out how to put food on the table to doing the, you know, whatever it is and, you know, and having fun and along with it. And, uh, you know, cause I, Everybody I know likes to have fun at some point and you know, especially to make the cares go away, whatever those cares are yet, you know, there's, there seems to be in, you know, in every one of those cases that you brought up, I mean, there's people that created these, you know, went after and created these problems for, uh, and in, in some cases took people's lives for, for what? And, uh, you know, and it makes no sense and it, it makes no sense at all. And it's, what's really cool is that you've highlighted some of these people who've, they got lots of differences and they come together to try and help deal with it. You know, and I just, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because, uh, um, you know, we have, we have to do something. And, you know, one of the things that that leads me to is that, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, um, in, in the title of your book, there's the word hope. Why do we, why is hope so powerful? Why do we need hope? Uh, you could probably ask three different people and get five different answers, but um, there's probably very philosophical answers, and then there's just very practical answers. But I mean, we we have a we, we we just need to look forward, right? I mean, we can't we can't go backward in time. We can't you know we can't predict the future, but uh, we just need to remain optimistic. You know, during this the writing and the publishing of this book. Um, 
we, we, we had a baby. She was born three weeks, uh, into, uh, uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, don't recommend going to, uh, uh, the hospital three weeks into a pandemic when no one at the hospital had any idea, um, about what, what the future was going to hold, but we were all hopeful. And the only folks at that hospital were COVID patients and expected mothers, uh, or m- mothers in labor. Um, and you know, just kind of put a lot, as you can imagine, into perspective. Um, she's two years old now. She's doing great, um, two and a half, uh, almost. And it just put a lot into perspective. Congratulations, by the way. And, oh, thank uh, you. Thank you. That's very cool. And yeah, talk about a rough time. That would be, you know, yeah, and it, nothing personal, but probably just about the worst time <laughs> that you could have been delivering a baby when they were figuring out what to do. But uh, it's cool. Well, I know, I know, I know you have a lot of educators who listen to this uh, this podcast. So you know, we actually we've, we've had a we've had a kind of an ongoing debate with with friends and colleagues. You know, having a newborn uh, in twenty twenty, or having a six year old who's trying to do kindergarten or first grade uh, on a Zoom screen uh, in twenty twenty. I'm not going to say worse. I don't mean that word, but what was more uh, memorable? <laughs> um, so, well, I have an easy answer for you. I'd much rather have a newborn <laughs> um, and uh, not trying to deal with uh, um, what was uh, going on with uh, within you know the virtual world of the classroom, trying to figure out how to make that work with a six year old. Yes, I I, can- I I would I would tend to agree with you, man. If we <laughs> fortunately uh, could just kind of go and push a sleeping baby in a stroller to kill time rather than yes. tell a six-year-old you got to log on to your classroom whatever that means so as a side note my i had a neighbor who uh um he, he worked at home right he worked at a home already before every all this stuff happened he's a computer engineer and and he worked for different companies and he worked uh, through his house uh, and once in a while he went to the office Primarily went to the office to escape thing, you know, to escape his family. <laughs> and what was funny though was the, um, um, you know, early on when I'm I'm out, I'm there at home because we had shut down, and and I'm at I'm at the house, and uh, um, he comes outside, and normally you didn't see him, you know, there's except for weekends you didn't really see him during the day outside because he's inside doing the computer stuff, and and uh, I said, hey man, what's up? And he goes, he goes, they're all home. He goes, I'm not used to this. I got to, he goes, I got to get out of the house. <laughs> and so I thought it was funny. I, I heard a lot of people talking about that too, is which, which, you know, this need to um, kind of get out, but that's funny what you were talking about there, which would be worse. <laughs> so, um, so talk a little bit about, I mean, so tell me, I mean, just let's take those stories and let's say, how do they help perpetuate hope? The stories in your book. Well, I think they've. I think for the eight people that I've profiled in this book, I think that there's thousands and thousands of similar people that are not in the headlines that are doing meaningful work, um, bringing communities together, uh, just in a very small way. Uh, as hokey as this might sound, making their community a better place. Uh, but unfortunately, there's tens and tens of thousands of people that just take the easy way, as I mentioned, to just put their head down and 
kind of stay in their lane. And that's really unfortunate that injustice is happening, but it's not my problem. And I think history has shown that unfortunately it's the people that, uh, that it's just much, much more common, uh, to, to, to look the other way and keep your head down. Uh, but as we're raising our daughter, uh, our, 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 our goal is to encourage her to, uh, uh, you know, to make waves, uh, in a good way. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, Steve. So it does. It does. I mean, it's, it's, I appreciate it. I just, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, you're basically saying that uh, here's people that didn't look the other way and they inspire others to not look the other way and to take a stand, and I like that. So, um, you know, so i got to ask you, I mean, Ari, if you were the keynote speaker for a conference on bringing people together and ending anti-Semitism, what would you want them to remember when they left your talk? What's that big thing that you would make sure that you said? that it is incredibly concerning, incredibly concerning that as America is approaching its 250th birthday, that there are houses of worship in this country that have armed, armed officers. And I, I just, I do not understand how synagogues large and small in this country in red states, blue states, urban environments, suburban rural environments, why synagogues need armed officers. But unfortunately, it's quite clear that we do uh, need armed officers because past uh, too often is prologue. And I don't think that there's any sort of antidote or secret sauce to prevent that, but I would hope that uh, a generation from now, as we're looking at America's maybe 265th birthday or 275th birthday, not a single house of worship in this country, um, or for that matter, uh, you know, other institutions, community centers, uh, schools, um, uh, are going to need armed officers. But as I mentioned, uh, you know, this book began when the, the innocent Pennsylvanians just did something on a Saturday morning that they were doing the previous Saturday and the Saturday before that. And quite similar to, I think what a lot of your listeners, uh, uh, do, they, they either walked over to their house of worship or they parked their car at their house of worship and then the entire world turned. It's, uh, makes no sense, but what you're doing makes a lot of sense and, uh, highlighting people who do care and showing that there are those who care and, uh, who take the time to, um, to show that they care that uh, it takes time to do what they did. <laughs> so, you know, and that's, Oh, that's so powerful because you're, you're saying to the others, look, 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 look at these people. There's regular people and, uh, they're making a difference, but they're not turning their head or sticking it in the sand. And, uh, kudos to you, Harry. No, thank you. Um, you know, before we close, could you let people know where they could connect and uh, learn more? I'd be happy to, uh, uh, absolutely. I always like that question. And, Thank goodness book sales have been doing great, but always welcome uh, listener feedback. Um, so it's uh, arimittleman.com uh, would have uh, A-R-I-M-I-T-T-L-E-M-A-N.com uh, uh, would link directly to uh, 
ways in which people can can purchase the book if they so choose. And there's 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 the old fashioned paperbacks, and then there's the uh, you know there's the electronic and uh, uh, audio ways of uh, purchasing the book as well. Excellent, and I will have that information in my show notes, so it'll be easy for those who are listening right now to go back and find the information. Um, uh, just to jot it down as well as all I got to do is look on their phone. Cause that's where my show notes are. If you're a subscriber in uh, many different uh, Apple, um, many different platforms, including Apple and others. And uh, all they got to do is look in their show notes on their phone. There it is. So it'll link straight to your website. So that'd be cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, um, Ari, I got uh, two more questions I got to ask you. And they, these are just questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you want to quit? Well, as uh, as I've mentioned, uh, any listener with a toddler will uh, you know smile that you you, you got to keep going. I mean, there's no uh, uh, and I, I say that with a smile on my face, uh, right? I mean, every literally every day is a new adventure, and that that keeps it uh, fairly exciting. That's awesome. As someone who used to have toddlers, and uh, both of them are. Um, in the working world now, it's, uh, <laughs> I totally understand. It's good stuff. So great answer. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who would it be? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Well, that's kind of the reversal of the question that we mentioned, uh, of the teacher's favorite student. Um, Yeah. So we're working backward. I mean, I was a very bad student as an undergrad. I really didn't take college too seriously. I, I was uh, doing internships and odd jobs and what have you. Um, but uh, in high school, I had a uh, 11th grade English teacher um, who was very, very active in the community outside of the classroom. Um, and uh it, that got me intrigued about the role of a, a school board, for example. Um, and then in grade school, yeah, I just learned actually that my second grade uh, uh, teacher um, passed away. Um, so that uh, that news just just a few days ago. So it brought back a flood of memories from second grade, um, which listeners can do the math. I'm 40 years old uh, um, in January, so. Uh, it's quite a while ago, but um, I don't know. You have you have like kind of a wave of nostalgia that's uh, flowing now, uh, Steve. I haven't thought about grade school uh, cool. uh, too much. So, <laughs> well, cool. That's a uh, that's a good thing, right? That's uh, oh, hopefully a good thing. You know, it's, I've I've had some guests before tell me nope, <laughs> not that many, but some of them said nope, and then others have you know flooded with names, <laughs> and so. Um, well, that, that, that's, I mean, I don't, I don't know who those guests would be and I, I don't know what the context is, but you know, uh, across the United States and districts, large and small, my, my understanding is that there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a shortage and we desperately need more teachers. And, you know, I've always thought that we, you know, we, we got to be compensating teachers appropriately. And because I mean, they're, they're, they're there, not, you know, everyone says, Oh, they're not working in the summer. Oh, they, you know, they clock out at 3 PM. No, I mean, it's, it's a 24 seven job. And, and every teacher I've met now as, as an adult, I mean, they're pouring their hearts into this, uh, you know, wealthy districts down through impoverished districts. They're, there's just a passion, uh, that, that, that keeps, uh, you know, there's a spark inside of them that they, I don't know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but it, uh, 
I, I, I often, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I, I, I actually often think about, you know, uh, I guess this is what someone does when they, when, when they're turning 40 and they're thinking, what am I doing with the rest of my life? I, I often think, you know, there's districts out there that want 60 plus year old, uh, retired folks. I'm, I'm, this is what I want to do with my, my, uh, uh, you know, my twilight years. So I want to get in front of a classroom and roll up my sleeves and be a full-time teacher. So. Excellent. And I got to tell you, there are plenty of school systems in, I don't know about uh, your state, but I can tell you that in the state of Georgia that would love to have you. So, <laughs> so just know, just know that if you decide to make that happen <laughs> and I'm sure your own state would do the same. So, uh, that's good stuff. Um, all right. I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. Your book, Paths of the Righteous, Stories of Humanity, Heroism, and Hope is a powerful, mind-adjusting, inspiring read. Wish you the best in all you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.